0: The Chinese real estate collapse affects everybody and especially going into the future. um, It's kind of like a domino effect. So there's a lot of things happening right now that you may not be experiencing. You may not have a personal experience from it. However, if you're invested, for example, in Wall Street, Wall Street is very invested inside of the Chinese real estate economy. And I would even say the bubble that was the Chinese real estate because as of this very moment uh, without possible government bailouts similar to our situation in 2008 the Chinese real estate bubble has officially popped and so uh, we're looking at a full-on collapse and so I'm going to get into basically what that is, um, what that looks like, maybe what even led to that that process Um, and so it's going to be a really exciting podcast, um, more geopolitical things happening, and and then after this, I'm also going to make another podcast about the collapse of Europe, which again, two kind of more or less uh, negative perspectives on what's going on, but, but being realistic, uh, because at the end of the day, if we're not being realistic and we're not connecting the dots on some of these major world issues, then uh, we're going to end up having to deal with them down the road, especially when it comes to the United States. What happens around the world does affect what happens here in the U.S., and that's important that we take into consideration. So I wanted to start by expressing the value of the uh, Chinese real estate market um, to give you a description uh, or a an example of, of the largesse of this real estate market. The entire value of Wall Street, all the companies, all the investment, all the money, basically all of America's money, essentially, in Wall Street um, is valued just around $53 trillion. It's the entire value of Wall Street, all the companies, everything. The value of Chinese real estate, this bubble, is at just over 55 trillion dollars. So it is the largest asset in the entire world. And when you think about that, it kind of blows your mind because the bubble itself, because I mean, my opinion is that the Wall Street, Wall Street investing, the whole Wall Street system, is also a bubble of its own, right? because uh, of course it's being built by fiat currency. What's happening in China is it was a bubble based purely on the demand of China, for Chinese real estate, uh, not necessarily on a fiat currency system the way that our economic system is developed. It was purely based off of this demand for people moving in China and the possible upward mobility of the Chinese people, the Chinese middle class most of those people being, of course, Communist Party members themselves and fully adopting the Communist uh, Manifesto of China, essentially. So to give you an idea, if that kind of thing, as large of an asset class as the Chinese real estate is, that thing is collapsing as of right now, okay? So like in the last couple months, it's been on that verge of collapsing and in this moment, it is fully collapsed. And so when a asset class of of that magnitude collapses, it does affect the entire world because uh, the Chinese people are being affected, the Chinese Communist Party is being affected, the Chinese economy as a whole is being affected. And when that occurs, that means that the surrounding area, the region, the other nations in that area are also gonna be affected. So. Really, it's not a very positive uh, outlook for the very near future. Let's talk about the the local governments, um, how they're actually funded. So one part of this collapse is that 46% of city governments in China are the revenue coming in. Let me say that backwards, actually. It's of the city government's revenue is from the real estate market. So that comes from the taxes that are being paid when people purchase property. And that revenue, 46%, makes up what the city government can afford to do. So when the largest part of a budget in a city government especially is coming from real estate and then there's a real estate collapse, that means there's also gonna be a collapse in the ability for local city governments in China to even have money to do their normal functions. Now, when it comes to the government in China, very different from in America, you do have people who are, uh, well, people in government who use government to oppress their people they use the government uh, to to fund technology to monitor to surveil those people in those cities uh, they use that money to uh, enforce their their insane policies their insane laws they use that money to you know um, kidnap people off the streets if they're ever practicing some kind of other spiritual religion besides government worship and they use that money for all kinds of of purposes that are not necessarily positive for the people of China, right? So I'm not saying that the decline of the money that these local governments are getting is all bad because this really could show that government isn't the sole, shouldn't be at least, the sole source of authoritarian um Governance in itself or control of society whatsoever. They should not be the majority of control. They, they shouldn't have the majority of control because they make poor decisions. This is kind of a classic communist destructive outlook is that for some reason, and I still get this in messages today, people believe that corporations are more evil than bureaucracies in government. And that is just not true. They are equally evil. They are equally in the same balance of power. Although, sometimes, corporations and government can be on the opposite sides of the power spectrum. Sometimes. And Hitler knew this. Hitler knew that if you could get control of the unions that then controlled the corporations because without workers, corporations couldn't function when they eliminate the unions, there was a merger between corporate power and government power in fascist Germany. Now, that merger is what allowed really uh, the fascist regime of Hitler to come to power and maintain full spectrum dominance over the economy of Germany without any kind of backlash from the people and or large powerful companies. That's why some of the largest, most powerful companies, I mean, like BMW, of course, making cars for Hitler, things like that, right? Audi doing the same thing. All these German car companies and and, and German industry all were merged with the fascist regime of Germany during World War II. So why is that a thing? Because they knew that if you can merge corporate power and, and government power, that would be wonderful. However, just because in our... Semi hybrid authoritarian capitalist state that we're in now because we're not in full capitalism. We're basically under communism as of 1913 in the creation of the Federal Reserve. Really, the, cre- the the dominance and control over money is communism because if you control the money supply, you control every aspect or lever of power inside of an economy, and that is the major issue that we face today is financial power, which I get into quite often in and out of the podcast, and so. When you look at something like this Chinese collapse and that the government itself can't even fund, you know, different projects or their own level of tyranny. The government itself, the tyrannical government, was reliant completely on the funding that came from the purchase of Chinese real estate. And so because of that, you're looking at a full on collapse of power inside of government. Going back to my point, that governments make bad decisions just as often if not even more often than corporations do. Where is the balance of power when it comes to corporations versus government? People believe that well, communists do that. You can vote people in and out of power inside of governments. That is not true. We know that based off of 2020 election and the fraud. However, we also know that based off of all kinds of corruption inside of government bureaucracies, the illusion of choice that we get inside of government and elections. Correct? So government parties, things of that nature, these are bureaucratic things. They, they elect themselves into power. Also, the bureaucracies, which I'm gonna get into on a whole nother podcast, the bureaucracies themselves, the administrative state is the control system that maintains power regardless of political party that gets elected, regardless. So when you really think about that, that is the major issue. And so here we are, with a bad decision based on the government's own policy making, to use funding from the real estate being purchased to actually wield their sword of power onto the people. So in a way, you could look at that and say it's a nod of like, you know, it's not the best thing to happen, but it's you know, it, it is a proof that it's not going to always work out when it comes to these these levers of power. So uh, to also another statistic for you. 78 percent of household wealth in china is invested in real estate because it was looked at as a stable solid investment 78 percent. that basically means that the average person in china was invested in real estate whether it was their own you know real estate meaning like their home or some other kind of commercial property or some kind of rental property there in china it wasn't just them that was that were invested in that it's also the banks themselves which i'm going to get into but 78% of household wealth that means that if you if you were to you know account for all the wealth that you currently have in china let's say you're the classic middle class guy in china or woman uh, what but women don't have much power in china so in this example you're a man you know who you know has wealth And if you accumulate that wealth, on average, 78% of your wealth is inside of real estate, meaning it's inside of a home that you bought or multiple homes that you bought or a a, a real estate portfolio that is being um, uh, invested with other banks, things like that. You're invested somehow, some way. 78% of your wealth is inside real estate, which means that when real estate collapses the way that it is now, that means that the average person's wealth in China is also collapsing. That's the biggest problem, is that an asset class like this large can collapse. And there is no basic fundamental future that we can look forward to in terms of being the average citizen, the average everyday person. And so then I wanna get it into, this was really interesting just to learn about, which was the the Ponzi scheme that is Chinese real estate. And that Ponzi scheme, is that a lot of the money in Chinese real estate is invested in projects that don't even exist yet. Meaning that you can sell a product in China without it being in existence. A lot of these homes and, and large, you know, condominium skyscrapers, you know, these big projects were not even finished, they aren't even finished. Um, and yet they're already being purchased. How much real estate is purchased out into the future? How much of the real estate that is actually pre-sold is what they say is pre-sold? Let me tell you how much. 90% of Chinese real estate is pre-sold to the consumer. That basically means that the average person is buying, houses that do not exist yet, and in many cases, they are paying mortgages, 900 bucks a month, 1,000 bucks a month, you know, 2,000 a month, whatever it is that you bought, they are paying that bill for several months, sometimes even years before their product is even built. Now, I mean, that's kind of, again, that sounds insane, but that's how much demand and how much growth was happening in the Chinese real estate market just a couple of years ago, before COVID basically. It was a massive investment. Like I said, the, one of the largest um, asset classes in the world. So now you have people, probably up in the millions of people who are buying real estate inside of China They have been paying that mortgage payment ever since they bought it months ago or years ago. And now the developers themselves are not even able to finish the projects. And there's this developer there inside of China by the name of Evergrande. Evergrande is this massive real estate development company that has been building these huge condominium structures and single-family homes and all this stuff everywhere, building out urban environments, and even to a point where, if you haven't heard about this yet, which is incredible, ghost cities. So it's not just a couple projects here and there, a couple skyscrapers going inside of you know major cities like Shanghai in China. No, 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 no. Evergrande has been building entire cities in China that nobody lives inside of. They're commonly referred to as ghost cities. If you just Google this or DuckDuckGo, whatever search engine you prefer, ghost cities in China, look that up. It is incredible what you will see. Entire cities, streetlights, trains, railways, everything built out completely with nobody living in it. It is the fucking craziest thing you can ever see. And those ghost cities that I talked about five years ago, which I thought was very odd, and I have a reason for my own ideas about those ghost cities. But here we are today, where now you can look up videos online of these entire ghost cities being demolished. Because Evergrande, the real estate development company, the largest in China, is now bankrupt. Therefore, they are not going to be building any more condominiums or houses or any of it. So, all those Chinese citizens who have been paying loyally that mortgage payment for months or even years before even having their property are fucking pissed because now they're stuck holding the bag and there ain't nothing in it. So if you're living in China and you've been paying this mortgage and now your product is not even going to be built and then you can't get a refund because the real estate developer is bankrupt. You'd be pretty fucking pissed. And so what's been happening there has been protests, which aren't large, you know, in China, you can't really get away with that, but they're big enough online of boycotting, paying these mortgages every month. So the developers that are actually the builders of the real estate is bankrupt, right? Now the people who were paying monthly for their mortgage, to get a product that no longer exists and is not going to exist anytime in the future, they're gonna stop paying their mortgages in, in a mass protest, right? Which then is going to bankrupt these massive mortgage companies that exist in China. And so just like dominoes, everything is collapsing. And what's the crazy part? is even let's say if you're not invested at all in real estate in China, let's say you're renting a dwelling, you're somewhere in Shanghai, you're living your life, doing whatever, but you have a savings account with a large bank in China. Most large banks in China take your savings account as a Chinese citizen. They take your money, your savings, and they have invested it in the real estate market of China. So let's say you've got 10 grand or 20 grand saved over the five, 10, 15 years or whatever in China. Now that money doesn't actually exist because the bank used your savings, that money that the 10 grand, whatever it was, to then invest it inside of real estate that now since that area of the economy has bankrupted itself, those banks are now out of money because they used your money to go invest in that real estate market. So even if you're not invested in real estate at all, and you you think you shouldn't be affected at all, now all of a sudden you find out your savings account is no longer valid. The money that you thought you had is no longer there. So which, this escalated and pissed off even more Chinese people into this mass revolt, okay? And I find it to be extremely interesting. Um, I have here in an article, the actual areas where there were these protests happening, uh, the boycotts of projects. And so they're all over the place, all over China. I mean, mean, if you look at the article, which I'm referring to, you'll be able to see all the different provinces and, and some of these areas that are not being paid into. So this is the most insane thing happening. And I can tell you that, look, this is gonna be my own analysis of it all, which is that China, is at war with the elites in the West and the elites being the Rockefellers. I mean, David Rockefeller himself and I think in the New York times said it that he promoted and built up the communist party in China funding Mao Zedong's revolution there in China during the 1950s. This is, An undisputed fact that Western elites have funded communism in China. They overthrew the government there and they have put that government, the the Communist Party of China in power ever since then. Just like Frankenstein, the Western elites who funded the Chinese overthrow and essentially industrialized China. I mean, there was, there was no running water in China. Now, of course, China is this massively awesomely built, you know, country that's kind of a communist hybrid capitalist state there. So things are great in China, which led to a lot of the communist party controllers to, uh, take their reins of power back. And they've essentially forgot all about the Western elites that funded them, that put them in power. And what's happening in this current stage, I would say in the last decade, but really in this current stage, especially after the pandemic and Trump and all the craziness of the West, China has decided to go their own way. Now, I, I knew that they've they've been deciding to go their own way for probably um, you know, 40, 50 years. But the Western elites and people on, even on Wall Street, like the Larry Finks of today, these massive hedge funds uh, like black blackrock heavily invested in china heavily they believed that they had control in china which i'm going to get into in another podcast which is that the financial system itself the people in control of the financial system believed that they had this undisputed ring of power but what we come to understand is that the chinese have been industrializing their nation. And by bringing all the manufacturing to China, we essentially built China into a massive superpower, a Frankenstein of sorts, that is now completely out of our control. And it is now running amok all over the world. I mean, look at the Chinese Belt Initiative and the things they're doing in Africa, the things they're doing in India, The things that they're doing um, to Japan and the South China Sea. I mean, China is unhinged. China is about to invade Taiwan for all intents and purposes. And by the way, guys, the whole Nancy Pelosi thing in Taiwan and all the things. The reason why there has been saber rattling, which is a reference to war talk on Taiwan from China, is to try and make an attempt to unify the Chinese people around a common cause. That's what a lot of authoritarians tend to do. They want to unite the people who are upset with the current power structure in that country by going to war with another country. So they want to, you know, make the enemy somebody else. Sounds familiar, right? Sounds like right now with Russia, they want to demonize Russia because Russia invades Ukraine. And I'm going to get into that on another podcast, but all of that is happening so we can all unite against Russia, right? And so we can transcend politics and just unite against Russia and Russia bad. You know, that, that's what they want us to think. Same thing in China. They're wanting to invade Taiwan for the purpose of creating havoc and uniting their people. So I find that interesting. And with this, this ch- turn of events, I think, over the past you know, few decades with COVID and everything else, these, these Western elites have lost their grip on power. In China and especially lately with the Russian invasion of Ukraine and as of I think last week there was a decision between Russia and China that they were going to no longer trade oil for US dollars so they're gonna get off US dollars they made an agreement to use the Chinese yuan and the Russian ruble as an exchange of currency in their trade with oil which goes against all policies in America that we built the petrodollar. We actually backed our dollar with oil, the price of oil. So the the way that our dollar works, it very much fluctuates with the price of a barrel of oil. And that's why a lot of craziness has been going on with inflation and then the rise of gas prices because the rise of gas prices is a direct reflection on the inflation of the U S dollar. And there is, it's not Russia invading Ukraine that's causing the gas prices to rise. Of course, people who are aware know that being a fact, that's not the issue. So this alliance with Russia and China, as of very recently, has accelerated this, this uh, backstabbing that China is doing on the globalist elite in the Western world. I mean, you even heard uh, one of the major globalist elitists, George Soros himself, say that the Chinese leader, Xi Jinping, is the enemy of the world, the enemy of their system, okay? And China is a much more patient tiger, and I say that's the year of the tiger, interestingly enough, and they're biding their time to strike on not just Taiwan, because that's, that is a goal of China, but they want to strike at the heart of America and the American economy, and it really gives me almost a sense of anxiety at what that could look like. We have to make that transition and acknowledge that the people there inside of China are trying to revolt against the Chinese system. So there's this turn of events where America is now trying to overthrow again the current Chinese government. And we are witnessing this in real time. Uh, and I do pray, that the Chinese government is overthrown or somehow reorganized, but that's not for me to say. I mean, you know, I'm not sure exactly what the people over over there in China want to make happen. I do know that they want their liberty and their freedom and all the things, but we'll see how things work out. Something I wanted to actually add, and I added it later, this is hours later, I just finished recording my podcast uh, with my girlfriend Casey and my friend Courtney and Ricky uh, called Unearth Yourself. Uh, but I came back home, got into a zone and wanted to share uh, other thing that you can already find on the article that I wrote. Um, I just finished writing this particular piece, but I wanted to emphasize something that I didn't really touch on as much, which is the Chinese ghost cities. Okay, uh, This is some history and really just a thought process that people really haven't visited before. So what you're getting from me, I think, is a very exclusive outtake that I don't think a lot of people have actually found. What I tend to see is a lot of these podcasters and just media people and things like that um, coming out today are very focused in, especially these large social media accounts and especially people who are younger, They're focused in on what's happening currently and the World Economic Forum and all this stuff and some of them don't even touch on that but what I'm gonna share with you guys is this angle on the Chinese real estate thing that people really skipped because they either weren't involved in politics at the time or they really never connected these dots. And look, there were definitely Chinese citizens who were buying homes and didn't end up getting into those homes. However, there were large cities, even back in 2015 that were completely finished and built in China, okay? These weren't add-ons to another larger city like Shanghai or Beijing. These were legitimately brand new cities. Cities that nobody lived in. And there was even, I remember, a tech city. You know, like San Francisco is referred to as Silicon Valley. Because there are so many technology companies there, right? Uber's there. Apple was built there. um, Google's there. You know, it's just, it's a tech, you know, city. Well, China also built Almost a replica of San Francisco. And they wanted that to be the future technology hub of the world. They wanted that to be the new Silicon Valley. And the reason I bring that up is because our elites inside of these tech companies, especially these tech companies like Google and stuff, but our elites in Wall Street, these tech companies and all of these facets of, you know, of, financial power in America and in the, uh, European world were heavily invested in China. Um, you know, in many cases, some of their children were starting to learn Chinese and this was because of the slow, but sure decline of America. There was a lot of people who were extremely smart and I would even say, there were people who were conniving and purposefully trying to collapse the US for a favorable position inside of China. So we had an entire infiltration of the Communist Party of China, whether using using money or political ideology or spiritual ideology, whatever it was that they were using, depending on the person, depending on the position of power and all the things that were completely embedded inside of our power structure in America, that were putting in an agenda that was favorable to a dominant China in the world. This is all before Trump, okay? Something that people don't really know or pay attention to. This was a plan in place to collapse the United States of America and Europe. But in particular, the United States was designed for that collapse and China was supposed to invade when China felt, I guess you could even say very comfortable with the infiltration, the level of infiltration. I can't say that China was all the way there, with their infiltration quite yet. You know, they they had probably another 10 to 20 year plan that was in, in motion. And so the cities that were built in China, these ghost cities, these entire hubs were being built by money from Wall Street in America as well as money from these tech giants to then move all of their companies to China. That was the plan. They were gonna move, and and they already did it partially, Google did move their company to China, but they were ready to move everything to China, knowing that China was gonna dominate the world, knowing that, again, 10, 15, 50 years into the future, that China was going to be the new world superpower. And for all intents and purposes, Two things were happening at the same time. One was, yes, there was a decline of America. You know, there were politicians being sold out at like just the dumbest levels of financial gain. I mean, there are retards in D.C. who took like a million bucks to get on to do something that was going to collapse the U.S. like the climate change agenda or like, you know, these different, you know, energy transitions or, you know, the things we're seeing now, right? These are, or like even the homosexual sort of promotion and LGBTQ agenda, there's a lot there. I don't want to get into it, but there's a lot of cultural destruction. There's a lot of political destruction. There's all kinds of havoc happening in America, right? And it's sad to think that some Americans, like even politicians, were taking scraps to betray their nation scraps okay it's like in the matrix when i forgot the name of that guy he he goes back in he betrays you know neo and the gang just to have a steak dinner again just to just to go back into the matrix and it was just so petty right like you just look at that and you're like man that guy just sold out for like no reason like he doesn't see the bigger picture and to be honest there's a lot of politicians i mean look at nancy pelosi i mean just look at her you know there are a lot of politicians and uh people in positions of power that don't are not actually powerful people they're not even actually that smart they're willing to sell out their nation for pennies on the dollar they don't even they don't even get the benefit of it and china is willing to pay that mercenary of of destruction i guess you could even say they're willing to pay, you know? And in some cases, like I'm mentioning, there were some very, very powerful people who were really cozying up with the Chinese elites and the Chinese Communist Party to try to build a life in China once America was fully collapsed. These are the Larry Finks of the world, the people who run BlackRock. Uh, these are these massive investment companies. And so, Again, guys, I'm just saying all this to to refresh the mind a little bit of what was actually happening in 2014, 2015 America. There was a good, consistent confidence inside of the CCP, the Communist Party of China, that they were infiltrating America to the exact level they wanted and they were ready for the collapse, but maybe they needed another 10 years or so, right? If things were going to plan. However... This is the most important part of this like entire monologue I'm on. When Trump won in 2016 and became the president of the United States. If y'all remember back then, I was paying attention to politics back then, but the Chinese were looked at as allies. They've always been looked at as allies. I mean, you've seen the, you know, the the, the press conferences with Biden, you know, and, and and stuff back in 2014 and stuff, you know, doing the doing the toasts with the President Xi. and there' there's been this kind of this this idea for really the last 50 years since the Rockefellers actually funded the communist overthrow of China. Um, there was this comfortable feeling that America had infiltrated China. and it is true that America built China, built the Communist Party, built the system that is China today. Uh, but I would say probably about 20, 30 years ago, china had their own plans in mind and the arrogance of the western elites believed that they because of their money and because of what they did and their investment and and the infiltration they thought they had on china they thought that china would just acquiesce to all the things that they had planned for china the slave labor the manufacturing all those things and, and letting america be the police for the world right well china decided a long time ago to go in. Infiltrate America, even though you know there's good, cozy relationships. Like, oh no, don't worry, we trust that we have control over your politicians. But we want to destroy America. You politicians, y'all are losers. Y'all don't see the larger picture. You don't see what you're doing to your own country. That's how the, that's how the CCP looked at our own politicians. They thought of them as pathetic losers who were just selling out their country to go get a mansion and 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 just live you know, a little bit of, a little bit, you know, they weren't thinking 10 X. They weren't t- thinking large scale macro level, like what's going to happen 10, 20 years, 30 years in the future. No, these politicians in, in our government, they, they just think about themselves. You know, they're just not even worried about our own nation. They're just out in they're, they're out for themselves. That's both, both Democrat and Republican. So remember when Trump got in, it was like, you couldn't say anything bad about China. It was, it was racist. It was it was insane, um, it was bad rhetoric, it was Hitlerian, they would say, uh, it was violence to say things about China. But the truth of the matter was, not only was China infiltrating America and all of these horrific things in mind, but China had trade deals with America where it was completely lopsided. And Trump even said, I don't blame China for what they're doing, I blame our stupid elites, our stupid politicians are stupid people who negotiate these deals. That's what Trump would say over and over and over again. So when Trump gets into office, he pivots policy, our foreign policy towards the appropriate response to China, which is as an aggressor. We had defensive measures in place to protect our economy from Chinese infiltration and from Chinese manipulation. Okay. That's what Trump did and I do believe that Trump does not get enough credit from actually saving America or at the very least buying America time to organize, to acknowledge the threat that the Chinese Communist Party posed to America. So when Trump was in office, his rhetoric, his policies, the anti-China policies, Even though they were looked at all types of different ways, it was enough to get our elites, some of them, some of our elites and our corporate executives and our media executives and all these different people to finally look at China as the aggressor that they are and to begin to pivot away from giving China a pass on all of the best possible deals. And so you've seen it guys, the NBA, the NFL, acquiescence to China, the Taiwanese thing, removing the Taiwanese flag. I mean, we've witnessed through the Trump presidency, the, the open aggression towards China. Just so y'all understand that was nowhere in the media, nowhere. There was nothing. The media never even said anything negative or positive about China. It was like China was not even spoken about. There was just this like Almost, I don't want to say incandescent, but there was almost like an undercover agenda happening with China that no media spoke about it. No media were, were speaking favorably. No politician was speaking favorably about China. But also no politician in America was speaking negatively about China or addressing the very elephant in the room that China was, in fact, an aggressor and an adversary not an ally, right? And so I think that with the rhetoric or whatever, the policy and rhetoric that China or that Trump provided against China, our elites, some of them, as I mentioned, they started to shift into a direction of, okay, maybe it is okay to invest in America. Maybe it is okay to have an American dream, an American future. And that was the whole thing that Trump was about. And I really don't think that Trump gets enough credit. I'll be honest. I really don't think he gets enough credit for this, but I think it's important to acknowledge that because of Trump's rhetoric and policy towards China, he basically paved the way, leadership, okay? He paved the way for other politicians and corporate executives and elites of all kinds in America to make it okay to criticize China, to make it okay to make policy against China, looking out for our best interest to um, not make corporate deals with China, giving China full control of various businesses in China, moving companies to China. There was this great shift that happened that was like, okay, maybe China isn't the future. That shift alone, the result of that shift is that Because two things are happening at the same time, which that result is the Chinese real estate bubble collapse, right? But also the other results are a lot of different problems in China and the Communist Party there, okay? But there's two things happening at the same time. So while, yes, there was rhetoric from Trump and policies in place to favor America and American independence, China made a more recent pivot towards America with the release of COVID-19 the bioweapon the the whole thing about you know getting ahead all the stuff that has happened economically and stuff that for China and America since Trump's been office so what happened was there was enough i think you could even say breakdown of confidence that the communist party of china had in the infiltration process of america do you do you understand that like they lost confidence so they pivoted and started to become openly hostile towards America and more importantly, openly hostile towards the elites in America and more importantly, the elites that are in control of the banking and financial system in the world who happen to be in America. That pivot that China recently made in the last, literally from COVID 2020, that pivot has established the precedent for our elites to finally become openly hostile towards China to the point where Nancy Pelosi would fly into Taiwan to try and make sure that the Taiwanese understood that we had their back in case of any kind of Chinese invasion or aggression. That is the full 180 that has happened since Trump took office from the potential complete collapse of the United States and infiltration of China and then therefore the takeover of China of the United States. We went from that possibility with these Chinese ghost cities with, with what was going to happen. The, the, the Great Migration is what was supposed to happen. The Great Migration From America, the elites, the loyal communist elites who worked with the Communist Party to overthrow America were now going to move their companies, move their offices, move their homes, move their families into China, into these beautifully new cities. And China was never building those cities for their own citizens. Yes, there's parts of Shanghai and other parts of China really that were going to be built and are being built for the Chinese people. Don't get me wrong, but there were legitimately entire cities that were empty waiting for this great migration. And I think that right there is something that I really, really wanted to passionately share with all of you. An angle I believe you are not going to get from anyone, anyone out there right now. This is kind of an exclusive perspective on it. It's not hard to pick up or put the pieces together. I'm not saying it's super exclusive, but it is exclusive in the sense that no one is really talking about that. No one really saw that angle and is openly sharing that, that I personally know about. So anyways, wanted to add that to the uh, podcast here. Hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, hopefully you share this podcast because I think it is valuable, even if it's just this remainder too. You guys enjoy the rest of your day. Peace.